I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to Season 2 of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Welcome to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenario I put my victims through. And today, it's an interesting day. We've got a Marine, and uh, us Navy guys and Marines have a special bond, and we're going to be finding out what kind of crazy shit he's gotten himself into, both in his younger years and in his more recent years. But as you guys know, every victim has a little uh, info put together. And pulled from the internet from the producers. So let's see what they found out about old Nick here. Hmm. Nick Kamalatsos, Marine Raider, Recon, Entrepreneur, Philanthropist, YouTuber, CEO of Alexander Industries, Husband, Father. You can find him on all social media. All you got to do is put in Nick and then start to spell K-O-U. And right when you put M you will find Nick Kamalatsos. Nick was born in Hollywood, Florida. He spent his childhood training to be Batman and planning his next big adventure. He grew up on the move and lived in five states by the time he was 12. Poor boy. This only made him more adaptable and comfortable with integrating into any environment. His teen years took a turn and were rocky, to say the least. Nick was forced into juvenile detention at the age of 12. After shaking his past, Nick needed to find a new direction. Nick, before we dive any deeper, how the hell are you? Good. That sounded all really dramatic. <laughs> I don't remember it all being that dramatic. <laughs> yeah, well, it sound, I mean, it's a, it's a good read. I mean, I don't know if uh, this must be somewhere on the internet, but uh, yeah. yeah, they they dug all that good stuff on you. But it gives us direction to start moving forward. But I want to say first, thanks for coming on the show, man. I do Absolutely, appreciate it. Man. Always a pleasure. You've helped push my stuff. Of course, uh, now it's my turn to help push your stuff. This interview is pretty pretty easy, right? We have a pretty crazy format where... I'm probably going to ask you some fucked up questions and good stuff like that and get you talking about things you may not want to talk about. And then we'll roll into some fucked up scenario where all the answers are right. But yeah, I feel like we've done this before. <laughs> but the only right answer is the answer that's on this piece of paper in front of me. So oh, okay. you're stuck with whatever's on here. All right. We're starting off with being put in a box. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so where are you at these days? What do you got going on? Oh man, we have, this past year has been absolutely crazy for everyone. Obviously in the entrepreneurial space, it's been crazy as well. So we've really narrowed our focus down. As you remember, we've, we had, I had several different projects and businesses going and we've really kind of squeezed those down and gotten sold some off, closed a couple, closing my last one now. And then we're going to focus mainly on the two businesses that are just kind of crushing it on the internet space. Yeah, which is Johnny Slicks. Johnny Slicks and then the Agogi. Yeah, the yeah, Agogi. How's that? So, yeah, we're going to get into that. I want to find out how that's doing. And I know you've had a lot of success stories up on social of people signing up and actually yeah. making some serious changes, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. That is super and cool. I think, I think that, you know, this past year has been a big eye opener for people as well in, in that arena, which we will get into. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So to kick it off, we already kind of hit on that you had a troubling childhood. So let's dig into that a little bit. What's your best or most favorite memorable bad boy story from when you were young and the reason why maybe, maybe it was the reason why you ended up in juvenile detention. I don't know, but uh, give me the good one. Give me a juicy one. See, these are none of these that are like, I'm super proud of. It's like, because <laughs> I know that's why I'm asking you. Yeah. Cause now that, you know, you know, as an, as a father and as an adult, you look back and be like, you just broke people's and stole people's shit, man. Like that's, that's not cool. <laughs> when, when I was younger looking for that tribe, right. Looking for that group of people that we, like we found in the military, right. That unit, I looked for that, ended up in a gang. And one of the things that we had kind of going on was we were acquiring different other acquiring other people's items from their yes. vehicles or whatnot then selling them to someone and that's you know it was yeah essentially a low level organized crime kind of situation the one of the reasons why we got busted you want to is that what you want to know yeah yeah how i got busted yeah. how'd you get caught how'd i get caught right yeah a woman was involved and we had this like rule that i'll call it an op if you go out on an op you don't bring any chicks with you. Right. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. To and me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Pretty clear. Don't bring any chicks with you if you go out on an op. Well, w- this one guy's girlfriend wanted to come and, you know, he, ple- he was kind of like one of the senior guys in the group and he was like, come on, she can do this or she can do that and look out and whatever. So we went to this thing and she came along and somehow I think it was a, we got a security tape. We would go to these different stores and buy like certain items say like a crowbar, we'd go at one store and just buy a crowbar, go to the other, go to a, say a Publix and buy latex gloves and some trash bags, you know, and like we would break. So it was kind of smart, right? Yeah, the way that we would break kid. it down. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But it wasn't like you go to the hardware store and you buy lie trash bags. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everything Shovel. that you need for one job, you, you kind of spread it out anyways. So I think they got us on camera and they got her on camera is the way that I understood it. And then keep in mind, Clint, we're, I'm in middle school. Like, I think I'm in the seventh grade, maybe. Nice. You doing this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good old Florida. Panama City Beach, Florida in the 90s. Anyways, so they, they got us on camera and they found, you know, they, they found out a, a string of break-ins that night, right? Had some kids on camera. So, you know, they're putting the pieces together. And then they come to school. And man, talking about thinking that you're just the the Billy badass of the school, cops walking in and they and like straight up in the classroom, putting handcuffs on you. No lawyer, no family member, like nothing presence, dragging you out of the school in cuffs at seventh grade. You're a minor, right? I'm a minor. You're a minor. Yeah. That had some How cool factor though, right? You're you're now you're cool with with everyone. Oh, now yeah, now yeah. you're Mr. Badass, right? Exactly. <laughs> allegedly anyways so then you know you go into your detention and then now you're being interrogated again no lawyer no adult present whatsoever at all anyways snitches get stitches right yeah so they say that's what they say anyway i didn't talk at all i didn't say anything i was really just the biggest little tough guy you could find apparently everyone else did especially the girl sung like a bird Wow. Just gave it all up. And because I didn't cooperate, I got hit with that one. 
which ended up being a felony. And that was it, man. That was felony that was as a minor, felony. though, right? That doesn't really go anywhere. Oh, no, it on. did. It sucked because when I went to join the military, it was something I had to deal with. And then later on in life, I was actually at special operations and it was still on my record. I couldn't even buy a handgun. Damn. In my 20s. Yeah. Up until 26, I think. Whoa. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, it's stupid little stuff. Your frontal lobe isn't even fully developed until you're like 25. <laughs> I mean, come on. Don't they know yeah. by now that we're just a bunch of idiots until we, uh, well, we're, we're pretty much who we are at 18 for the rest of our lives, right? So, <laughs> But tell you what, this experience, this yeah. experience, and, and a lot of those experiences during that time served me very well later on in life when I'm going through things like SEER school and, you know, certain other special schools and special operations yeah. as well. You know, and I'm talking to another individual and I'm like, oh, I've I've been here before. This is like <laughs> talking to the cops. I yeah. got this. You know, right. so you're all squared served, away. Yeah, it served me very well later in life. Desensitized. I can relate to that. You know, I had the same kind of stuff growing up. I was overseas causing trouble like crazy. And, you know, and I think that's where I kind of perfected the whole don't get caught attitude. Yeah. Unfortunately, us guys stayed together. We didn't have any girls in our gang, so we didn't get caught. Smart move. I know exactly what you mean, though, as it relates to later, like I got to yeah. buds or you get to any of the any of the training and all of a sudden you're like, you know, this isn't as bad as that one time when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely more nerve wracking when you're a child than when you're an adult dealing with crap. What was it that turned it around for you? Was it basically, hey, I got caught, you get put into this detention type scenario and then you had a moment to think and that's what fixed it or? No. No, I, I was still pretty hardcore. I went into juvie and, and a short a short amount of time I was there, I, I ended up getting a juvie tat with some guy with a ink pen and a twisted up plastic fork. So <laughs> where is that shit. at? Can you show that to us? No, that? it faded it faded a long time ago. <laughs> they would twist up a, a plastic fork, you know, until it breaks, right? But the plastic's all twisted and sharp. Mm -hmm. And then use a ballpoint pen, the ink and a ballpoint pen, and then just nice. scar yourself up and then put the ink in there. It's, my mom came and visited me and saw it and holy shit, man, she lost all the women, all the other mothers in the, in the room are like, you get them, honey, you tear them up. But no, it wasn't then. This is when it really hit me. I think it was the second time, second or third time that I got arrested. Juvie was full for in-processing. And I don't remember, I don't remember all the, the legal details, but they had to in-process me at County, at Bay County jail where mm. the grown men were. Oh, geez. Yeah. And that's when it hit me that like, <laughs> this is not a scenario that I want to be a part of at 12 years old. Yeah. That's crazy. I that, mean, yeah. How, you know, that's, that's, de that definitely wouldn't fly these days, right? A 12 year old. Oh my God. Could with, you imagine? I mean, yeah. this different world in the, in the nineties, right? Yeah. In the early 90s. Yeah. So jailhouse tats at 12 and then rolling over into the big boy jail. So did anybody try and mess with your butt or anything? No, no. Oh, okay, that's good. That I'll that I'll admit to anyway. Um, <laughs> no, it was it. you secretly. It, it was more of the in processing portion, working through through that. And I don't know if I don't know exactly the reasons why. What I had heard was they were full at boot camp. I think it's called whatever. Not juvie. There's juvie juvie, but then there's also like the the boot camp version of juvie. Oh yeah, you know the labor and the labor side. Yeah. So they, so that was that, you know, it's like they have drill instructors there, right? As mm -hmm. yeah. So that was full. 
So they had to process me there and hold me there for a while. And I was like, yeah, I, I think this is not the direction that I, <laughs> I want to go with my life. Yeah, that's a, that's a wake up call for sure. Man. Well, let's kind of roll in. So fast forward, you end up in the Marines, right? Yeah. Give me the snapshot of your Marine career and where it led you. And first off, I couldn't even get into the Marine Corps. I walked in and they were like, I was like all gung ho walked in. I'm like, all right, I'm going to be the, what was it? The few, the proud. I was going to battle dragons <laughs> with a sword and all the other, all the other propaganda we were spitting back in the nineties. Yeah. Army of one. Anyways. So he's like, sweet man, sit down. You know, he does his little tile talk and got all excited and filled out some paperwork. He's like, all right, I'm going to go run your information and we should be good to go. Take out a little test on a computer here. See how smart you are. Not smart, but yeah, you're good enough. <laughs> and then came back. He laughed. He was like, there's nothing we can do with you. You're a convicted felon, man, two, yeah. two felons. And basically they right there and there, he said, you're never going to be able to join the Marine Corps. Told me no, which was the worst thing that it could, that it could ever have told me. Yeah. And I immediately pressed nuke, nuke on my life. Like I literally nuked my life, all the money I was making, everything I had going on in my life. I just nuked it, went back to being like, you know, poor and having nothing. And that became my sole focus joining the Marine Corps. And it took me two years. Wow. Two years, but I got in and, uh, and then just went from there. It took me two years to get in, trained a seven and recruit training. I break my wrist, got dropped to MRP. So I did five and a half months in recruit training Ugh. and then ended up graduating, you know, number one in the company and then got awarded the, the illustrious MOS of administrative clerk. <laughs> so battle, battle ready, <laughs> battle hardened administrative <laughs> clerk. So after all this gritting and, and trying, you know, ad, you know, triumph over adversity, that was the wonderful MOS that I get, which the master Sergeant said was the best MOS in, in the Marine Corps, according hmm. to him. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know if you knew that or not. Huh. Um, no, didn't know that. But <laughs> yeah. is there any reason behind that that he gave or? No, I know. He just, uh, you know, I said, I sir, and walked, walked on, signed the paper and walked on out. But that didn't last long. It, when I showed up, when I showed up to my unit, it was, it was very quickly realized that that was not the place for me. And luckily I had some good staff and COs that took me under their wing and knew that this kid's going to self-destruct if he, if he doesn't have a, a proper outlet to yeah. go, you know, so I did some training stuff and some individual augment stuff to Turkey and actually helped some of the special forces guys get into Iraq during the, right before the invasion, you know, into Northern Iraq, which was, which was pretty cool to see. And then came back and got the opportunity to go to force recon. And that's, you know, right about my three-year mark. So that's, that's yeah. when that all started. Yeah. So you got that into force. Marsoc. Yeah, Marsoc, right? So you had some identity crises. I remember watching that happen. You guys never wanted to be part of SOCOM. Then one day somebody got smart and said, we need to be part of SOCOM. So that created Marsoc. And you were kind of there from all that, right? Yep. Yep. Then yeah. there was a, there was a little bit of, it was kind of a, you had a old, some older guys that thought that we should be part of SOCOM in a certain way. And then some of the, us younger guys thought, well, no, that's not exactly how it's all done. You know, there's other ways to, you don't mm -hmm. always have to be the hammer. Sometimes you can be a scalpel. So there was in the, within force recon, there was this kind of polarizing ideas of what it should look like Yeah, going into SOCOM. And I think that's where a little bit of the internal headache, nobody obviously knows about that except guys like, you know, are in it. Yeah. 
you when you're in it. But there was for a little a little bit of time some some polar operating ideas of of what that looked like. But it got it got flushed out, and we're pretty guys are heading in a very singular direction now, and have been for some time now. Yeah. No, it seems yeah they they kind of ebbed and flowed there for a little bit, and then got squared away. Yeah. So the time in, you got to do how many? You, you did how many deployments? Full long deployments. I mean, Marine Corps deployments, not Navy SEAL deployments, you know. But uh, <laughs> well, if you're in the regular teams, it's it's six months. But yeah, 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 yeah sometimes eight, good. sometimes eight. Yeah, but the, yeah, you get the six Hollywood months is a nice a nice break from the family. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we did. I did a total of five long deployments out of twelve years in the service. I was actually gone for six. Yeah. away from sex yeah the little things you know here and there obviously that accompanied for the other other time that i was gone but most of my deployments were seven to nine seven to ten months yeah over a period of time and that was iraq afghanistan turkey and then did a fun thing all over southeast asia yeah sticking with the theme here once you're in special operations and now you're kind of operating any good story that stands out that where, you know, you kind of felt like, man, I don't know if this is going to work out for all of us. This might, yeah, uh, this might be I a bad it, day. I call it the day we were supposed to die. And one of these days, maybe I think we've talked about it in the uh, off, off camera, but uh, I think that it would be a great kind of apocalypse now, quote unquote, based on a true story. Yeah. But yeah, the day we were supposed to die is it was the day that we rode motorcycles through what we called the hot gates in Northern Afghanistan. My last deployment, I was on a team that was doing the uh, bill of stability operations Yeah, and, you know, working with locals to like basically create their own security force to manage their own AO. We kind of went back to what some of your brethren and, and special forces did and early on in Afghanistan, like the whole 12 strong movie, mm -hmm. you know, kind of working with the locals to fight, you know, yeah. a, a so that's what we were doing. We had a 300, 300 something man, you know, a little surrogate force and a few, you know, Marine Raiders. And so we, and we had done really well and multiple teams have been in this area kind of cultivating these relationships and establishing the safe space in this district. The higher being higher, we're like, well, if you guys have done so well, let's do better. Let's push, let's push it out there and let's just keep going. Yeah. But they, you know, at the time, they didn't want to allocate any more money. They didn't want to allocate any more guns. They didn't want to allocate any more support. They just wanted us to do with what we had. Right. Figure it out. Uh, so if you can imagine the hot gates, like everybody knows, like the 300, the hot gates, there was a place in Afghanistan that looked very similar to that. You had a river on one side, then you had the mountain that came down and met the river. And on the other side, you had the mountain that came down and, and met a trail as well. And that trail was about a good enough for like a side-by-side -side and a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And then we had, you know, good reporting that that trail that was for the motorcycle and for the side-by-side -side had IEDs on it. But we had a good belief that, you know, the motorcycles were light enough that they probably wouldn't trigger the IED. So safe enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but this don't worry about the remote detonation right, right. Theory, so yeah. <laughs> so and then there's a village on the other side of this this choke point that we were supposed to go work with yeah and my whole thing was like hey what do we have to offer this village well nothing we're just gonna go talk to them so you're gonna take all of our people and put them through this choke point so that we can just go talk to these people and offer them and talk to them about security and say we have nothing to offer you. Cool. Okay. That sounds like a great plan. More with Nick Kamalatsos after the break. So we go down there. We stage. Cloud cover rolls in. 
low cloud cover. So we've got no real support there. We've got some more tubes set up, but they're above the, above the clouds. So in my mind, it's like no-go criteria, right? It's like, this is done. Mm-hmm. Like we pack up and head home. Somebody gets hurt. Who knows what's going to happen? No, no, that's not at all. No, that's not what we're going to do. <laughs> You're Marines. We're going to push. We're going to push the fight, Clint. <laughs> so to ease everybody's heart, nobody gets hurt here. So like this is a, you know, otherwise I probably wouldn't be telling the yeah. story. So nobody gets hurt. Everybody came home. So we get to, you know, we're staged. So everybody knows that we're there, right? It's broad yeah. daylight. We're on motorcycles. We've got a huge force staged at the, at the foot of the hot gates here. And we're about we're ready to push, we're ready to push in there. So the enemy is aware. <laughs> it's not, it's yeah, not yeah. a secret. So what happened? What do you think happens as soon as we breach that little that choke point? He can fire. Gigs up, yeah, right? Gigs up. Yeah. We're going through. To make it worse, my one of my best friends, he drove this. I had a premiere, which we called the Afghan Road King. I'm sure you've rode around on him as well. Yeah. And he had a parwaz. And uh-huh. that was the more, I think it had like 25 more CCs or 50 more CCs. I don't remember exactly. Somebody listening will probably know, but it was yeah. more like a, more a beefed up mountain bike, dirt bike version of it. And uh, mine was like more of like a Afghan road King, real light, small, right. comfortable pegs, you know, and his looked more like a, almost kind of like a Kawasaki dirt bike. But the thing was a complete piece of shit, man. Like it, like shit was falling off of it. It was constantly having problems. I told him to ditch it. He was like, no, it's got skulls and it looks cool and it's blacked out and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, but it's a problem. Yeah. So what happens when we breach the hot gates? His battery falls out of its housing and is dragging through the dirt of this small little path where you have a mountain side and you have the river on the other side and we're getting shot at where there's supposed to be IEDs in the dirt and it's just dragging behind him by the negative cable. <laughs> so of course I love it. I stop, pull my gun up, you know, I'm return fire a little bit. He grabs the, he stops, grabs the battery, puts this battery in his lap. Thank God the, the bike's still running and, yeah. and he puts it in his lap and he we haul ass to the first house and we clear the first house and, you know, we, we keep shooting and everything. And that's kind of, that's our entry into the hot gates. Uh, and matter of fact, he had a scar. It was the guy I talked about on uh, another podcast. He had a scar. I was shooting M110 SAS suppressed. He was shooting a scar. And he was like, if I'm right here, he was like a foot to my left. Mm. And I remember shooting across this river. And I, lo- I stop and I look at him and I'm like, I don't know. Can we cuss on this? Is you're on here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. I'm, yeah. I look at him and I'm like, get the fuck away from me (laughs) (laughs) dumping all his brass on you yeah that thing is if if you've ever had a a scar heavy shoot next to you unsuppressed it is so freaking loud and i'm over here with no ear pro with an m110 sas suppressed and like it's like nothing right yeah and anyways he just laughs and kind of goes down but there's a lot more to that but that was probably the out of all the stupid things that i've done that was probably one of the hairiest ones that we've done and lived to tell about it so yeah no that's good i like the hot gate scenario people should know 300 but if you don't it's spartans they basically leverage that strategy of you can take on thousands if you just force the thousands to come through a funnel right now you're evening the force, right? So, and I think I said hey, that that's a great the, tactic when we were there. I was like, I think this is in every basic 
private first class tactical manual of a no-no. I mean, it's the first thing. Right. Avoid a, ch- <laughs> a choke point. I think that we got taught yeah. that somewhere like, you know, 15 years ago, but whatever. Yeah. The question is, is are we the Spartans or are we the thousand idiots that are about <laughs> right. to get through this yeah, thing? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you got through the military. You survived to tell some good stories. Now you're rolling into... Now, heck, I've been watching you and you've been out before me and crushing it. So I've learned a lot from you, but now you're doing kind of the boss job with Alexander, right? Alexander Industries kind of owns other things or that's, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's kind of like an umbrella corporation that owns a little bit of everything. So the two big ones you're really focused on now are Johnny Slicks and the Agogi, Johnny Slicks. Yeah. Yeah. That's so tell us. You smell good right now, isn't it? It is. I mean, I am a Johnny <laughs> yeah. Slicks fan without a doubt. One of y'all's first. Yeah. I'm proud to say I'm one of your first. Yep. Give us the lowdown on that and, you know, especially make sure you plug the Forbes piece that came up last year. Yeah. So great opportunity. Like, you know, Johnny reached out to me, I think, I don't know, 17, 18 times on Instagram. And I was like heavy <laughs> into my media and YouTube thing, life had already, you know, I'd had several businesses already. And we were, we were cooking along and he's like, Hey man, I got this pomade and beard oil. You got to try it. And I'm like, sure, bud. Right. Finally, so blew him off. after about six, yeah, I blew him off. So after about six <laughs> months, I finally, and he happened to be local. He's a young guy, got out of the Marine Corps and, and there's a great story on, on YouTube. It's got like, I don't know, like 15 million views and something about the, the origin of Johnny Slicks. I tried it. He finally got a hold of me. I tried it on camera. It was during the old 90 day vlog back, you know, I think it was 18. Oh yeah. Tried it and told my wife, I said, this is a million dollar product. And he had no website. He like, he likes the joke now. He's like, I was a, I was a no for structure. (laughs) I I I didn't have, it was, I didn't have any infrastructure. I was a no for structure. I sat down with him and said, what's your, what's your website? What's this? And he had nothing. He just was focused on the product and, and that was it. And so <laughs> I said, well, how are you getting this to people? He's like, well, they messaged me on Instagram. I take their information and then I go to the post office and I buy all the boxing and their address and I just ship it to them. Or he was driving around the tri-state area in a, with a silver briefcase selling it. Five <laughs> pomades, five hair pomades at a time. Yeah. So I was like at a fight club. Yeah. I was like, I think (laughs) I can help with this situation. And I knew that it was a million dollar product to fast forward. You know, we partnered and we've grown it to a seven figure company with within two years. So we're we're in our fourth year now. And it's just it's it's absolutely just I mean, we're we're crushing the market. And what's unique about it is it really is an organic product. And you've done some interviews with it as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people say all natural it's that's a big formaldehyde is all natural hide asbestos is all natural but you don't want to put it on you it is it truly is an organic product that will leave you healthy and smelling good and that's the biggest thing is the stuff just smells amazing and he's he's a wizard in the kitchen yeah no and i think that's the key is like there's a lot of stuff out there for women that smells great but there's very little for guys and guys sometimes you may not want to admit it, but they want it, right? They want to, they want to have, and they, and the, I know the fragrances you guys have been pumping out. I love them. And they don't smell like a chick, right? It's like, no, it's, it smells that men like and women when they smell. I mean, we oh, have, yeah. I, last I checked, we have seven confirmed pregnancies based off of men wearing Johnny <laughs> yeah. Slicks. Like that's a real thing. We joke you about it. so good. Yeah. We have like women that hit us up with sonograms going, Hey, a man was wearing Johnny Slicks. 
something something yeah. happened. Next thing you know, I've got a baby inside me. That's happened seven different times. That's the best part of the story, really. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And we've, and you know, we we started with three products, and now we've expanded to shampoos, shampoos, body washes, you know, conditioner. Yeah, the shave soap is amazing. I'm, I'm sure we've sent some of that to you, but yeah, yeah. I use all of it, beginning and you know, the best part is what the stuff can do for you. Maybe in a in a in a pinch, right? Yeah. The pomade, for example. Let's go through. There's there's we like what this. four, right. five things, yeah. right? Let's yeah. let's go over those. First one, you can use pomade to lube up your weapon, correct? Yeah, you can. And we're not talking about the one down south, but <laughs> it works down there as well. Yes. It, it, yeah, I haven't personally tried it yet, but I remember the cinnamon one. You guys were like, "Don't use the cinnamon for sex." No, you can use it for your gun, just not your personal gun. <laughs> unless yeah, you want right? unless you want some extra tingle. If some extra tingle, <laughs> if you're into that sort of extra tingle world, then try it out. But we don't recommend yeah. it, neither do our lawyers, and we won't be high liable for any sort of situation <laughs> that handles that hands there. Yeah. And then another thing, pomade, you got, and this is what proves the organic piece. The pomade can also be used on your tattoos to kind of brighten them up, make them look shiny and freshen them up, right? And to heal them. Yeah. So if you get, if you get a fresh tattoo as well, and your like plasma's like leaking, you know, how it does on a fresh tattoo, like that will actually, the ingredients in there will actually help heal the scars and heal the tattoo as well. Yeah. Right. So you got lubricants, both gun and down South, and then you got the, the tattoo. There's, there's a bunch of good stuff, man. Point being is not only is it a great grooming product, but it could also save your life or work the kinks out. Right, right. There you go. Maybe get some kids going. Maybe or or maybe help you make you look like make you look great on your one night stands. Who knows? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Now, Agogi, your app. This is all fitness, nutrition, coaching based, right? Yeah. Over the years with working with people, especially I mean, it hasn't really changed, but I think men get wrapped up in the axle of their own life and and their requirements and they let themselves kind of go, right? And they want to get back. They have this desire to get back to this like warrior mentality of, the, of who they are. So as we have gone through, you know, working with other people, we kind of identified these four pillars of a way to like what a men should focus on and how they can be the very best version of themselves. We, and you know this for, your, for yourself, men operate better. We just operate better in life when we're physically fit, healthy, strong, and lean. Yeah. We just do. Our brains work better. There's a dopamine release there. We're more, our testosterone is more efficient. There's a lot chemically going on with the man when he is eating right, exercising, and low body fat and some lean muscle on him. There's just across the board, he just has more energy, better relationship with his significant other, like more energy to deal with his kid, you know, to play with his kids. There's just, yeah, is a the better version of himself than the guy that's. 40 pounds overweight, he's mm. tired, he's lethargic, stressed out, anxiety, depression, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. that's the that's the first one, right? Like to get a guy healthy, fit and lean. So that's the first pillar. So and I'm sure you've heard this, the second one being this, like the, the whole motivation thing. Well, I'm just not motivated. Mm-hmm. Well, fucking newsflash. No one is right. No one is motivated. That is absolutely it's not the way it works. I'm not motivated to go drag my ass into the gym and get my ass kicked for an hour and a half every day. Like that's just, you know, I'm not, some days I am some days like, I just, hell yeah, I want to do this. 
some day, most days I'm just like, oh, what a drag. I don't, I don't, I don't really want to invest the time in this. Or I don't feel like it, but you don't go to the Olympics by only training when you're motivated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. join special operations by only training when you're motivated. It's something that's part of your lifestyle. It's part of your thing. So it's, it, it, it requires discipline, not motivation. Yeah. And I that's agree what, completely, man. And that's yeah. what people need to realize is like, I, I can't, I, I, every day I get 10, 10 messages about like, well, I'm just not motivated. Who gives a shit if you yeah. are, you know what I mean? Like that, that means Jack and shit. So, so we work with individuals to create a routine that serves them, their wife, their significant other, their, their kids, their job and their own routine that they just follow. You wake up, right. you get shit done. Regardless mm-hmm. of how you're like one, you're not a woman. So <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how you feel. Right. I don't really care how you feel, but you have to get the shit done. So we do with that. And then it goes into the whole belief system of men. We all have it, right? We all have traumas. We all have things that have happened in our life that have affected us in the way we see things, the way we react to things. Parents as a kid, a tragedy as a kid, something that's happened, you know, prior divorce, divorces. There's always something in our life that triggers us to react a certain way. And then unfortunately with that, it goes with the belief system, right? Like you ever heard of the elephant and the stick, elephant rope and the stick? Uh-uh. So you take so. this baby elephant, tie a rope around its neck, and then put a stake in the ground. That baby elephant doesn't go anywhere. Well, they keep doing this to this elephant its whole entire life, and it believes at a full-grown ah, yeah. elephant that it's tied to this stick. Right. And a lot of times with men, based off prior history, they feel like they're the big elephant and they're tied down. They can only make so much money. They can only have this body, like I'm bigger guy. I've always been a bigger guy. So this is where I've, I'm going to sit for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. They're, they're rooted in this belief factor. What they don't realize is there's a fucking warrior inside and all they have to do is break the, you know, just move away from the stake and it just comes right out of the ground and they can accomplish, they can tear the whole circus apart if they wanted to, but it's a belief system. And then it really comes down to the why behind it all. And as a man ages, it's really comes down to their tribe, right? as you get older, the more you realize that it's less about you and more about your daughter, your son, your wife, who, who your tribe around you. And that, that might be your military tribe, your law enforcement tribe, your, your, your at home tribe, whatever it may be. But as men, we are the professors, we're the protectors, the providers, the teachers, we are the, the father figures, not a dad bod. Right. And that's really what the, that's really what the agogi is about is that getting men back to that. Yeah. I love it, man. And you're right. That that motivation thing, you know what I find myself? It's actually kind of funny. I'll, I'll get up in the morning and I have a choice, right? I can put on my workout clothes or I can go ahead and just put on the clothes I'm going to wear all day to work, right? Yeah. And it's a struggle. Sometimes I'm like, I don't really feel like doing the workout clothes thing. <laughs> Maybe I'll just put on my Patagonia stuff. It's comfy. It goes oh, well. Oh, easy with, too. It's right there. Yeah. And I can get right my there. coffee. And it's it warm. Yeah. I can snuggle with my my clothing and my coffee, watch yeah. the news. <laughs> and then I have to literally talk out loud to myself, right? Like, no, Clint, put your fucking workout clothes on and go get this done. Just do get it. it Just get it over with because you know when you get done with it, you'll have a better day, a more productive day. Yep. And I talk out loud so much to the point my daughter is upstairs and every now and then she'll yell out, Dad, you're doing it again. <laughs> and I'm like, doing what? She's like, you're talking to yourself. I'm like, I know I am. 
I'm trying to talk myself into shit. Just leave me alone for a second. I have to work this out. Give me a second. <laughs> yes, Clint is dealing with Clint right now. Yeah. And I think that's really the takeaway is sometimes, guys, you just got to you gotta deal with yourself and yep. uh, yell right. it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. More with reformed juvenile delinquent Nick Kamalatsos after this. And speaking of bad boys, check out our archives to hear from the baddest man in the AEW professional wrestling superstar, Chris Jericho, to see if he can survive an F5 hurricane. So the Agogi app, now this is an app. This is a full functioning app you can download and, and it kind of just Yeah. So you hit our you hit our website. You hit our website first and look at, you know, kind of look at the plan overall. There's a form you fill out, and then one of our people contact you and and then we kind of go from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a good stuff. I like the whole philosophy behind it. And, you know, maybe, you know, for listeners too, what's, what is, I know what the Agogi is, but you got to give, give a, that's awesome. Yeah. So the, what the Agogi is, is it was a Spartan. It was basically the Spartan training camp that made Spartan citizens. That's right. So if you didn't, couldn't figure out by my name, I'm Greek. Part of my family is from the Peloponnese area. So very rooted in that history. Anyways. So they would take these kids at a very young age and kind of, and it's funny the the movie was really dramatic. He was like pulling away from his mother's arms, but there's symbolic, there's some, there's symbolism in that, right? Yeah. That you're going from a boy who's being like on the tit with their mother <laughs> yeah. to being ripped away from that and then thrown into manhood. Right. Right. And that's what that was is they would stay in these, they would stay in these training camps for their pretty much their entire from seven, eight, nine years old till they were finished and they yeah. became Know, they passed the challenge and they became a man. There's a lot of different programs out there and a lot of different cultures that had similar tests for young men. And it wasn't turning 18. It wasn't turning tw- an age. It was a test, a right, a, a, a rite of passage yeah. that they had to go through to become a Spartan warrior, a Spartan citizen. And that's what the Agogi was. It was, it, that was the camp for them to become that. Yeah. Spartan school, badass school. Love yeah. it. Yeah. I think it's great. I think it's, without a doubt, good symbolism for anyone who wants to, all right, time to test myself, take it to the next level. Yeah. And especially, you know, you hit it on the head, man, I'm 47 and it's, uh, takes more and more effort to, to put out the effort. Right. I mean, it's just, right. uh, it's just the way it is switching gears a little bit. Are you ready for your challenge? Are you ready for your survival scenario? Yes. Yeah. Okay. How many people have survived? What's the odds here? <laughs> well, <laughs> You know, <laughs> everybody dies. It kind of just depends because we could get off on a tangent here and the, yeah, you either going to win or you're going to lose, but it's okay. The goal right. here is everybody listening will learn something, hopefully all good stuff. All right. So most okay. of these scenarios, obviously we would never want anyone to be in, but the skills everyone should know and hopefully never have to use. Let me paint the picture for you and we'll get started. Okay. So do it. here we go. There's a world-famous pop singer in your town. She had a concert on Saturday and Sunday. She requires executive protection detail. However, you're smart, and you said, Hell no, I don't want to deal with your shit, lady. Late Sunday night, you're at the office because you're a good boss. You came in early, you stay late, everybody's already at home, and you're there alone, right? You're finishing up work at the office, and you lock up the place, and you're headed towards your vehicle, okay? Okay. Suddenly, a 15-passenger van screeches to a halt, blocking your vehicle. 
Three men hop out. One with a gun pointed at you. They say, where's the singer, Nick? You have a puzzled look on your face. Like, what do you mean, the singer? So do you, A, stand and try to negotiate with these fellows, or B, assume a nonviolent posture, hands in the air, and try to de-escalate the situation with the use of body language and maybe some soft, kind words? A or B? B, hands up. Yeah. Non-threatener. That's the Trojan horse, right? Yep. That's the Trojan horse. So, yeah, assuming a non-violent posture, get your hands up and ready so that you can strike, you can draw. The key to any non-violent posture is making sure it's something you actually train, right? You can have your hands in your pockets and still be just as quick drawing a knife or a gun, but you have to train with your hands in your pockets to draw the knife, draw the gun. Exactly. But the most common one is the negotiation stance, hands up, hey, I don't want any trouble, and that is a solid answer. Good job. With your hands up, you tell them, hey, you're not working for the pop star, so you don't know where the hell she is. Frustrated, they corral you at gunpoint into the back of the van. Mm. You sit in the back with a few rows of empty seats in front of you. There's one guy driving, one sitting shotgun, and then the third guy is two rows in front of you, and he's got the gun. Kind of like a Pulp Fiction moment, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're thinking about a way to get out of this when you notice the driver is swerving and not paying attention. As the vehicle rounds a corner, you realize he's going to crash. This is going to suck. All right? Do you, A, lay on the floor of the vehicle and brace for impact? Or B, brace for impact by placing your head against the seat in front of you, legs at a 90-degree angle, and your hands over your head? B. B, Yes. Might be obvious to some, but you never know. People, Some people think laying down on an elevator, if it was falling, somehow you're going to survive it. Or if you jump up just before it hits the ground, you're going to win. But uh, yeah, same thing applies here, right? Laying down doesn't do anything. You got to basically put your body into an impact position. No different than if the little cards on the airplane, you know, trick you into like you're going to survive that anyway. But they have you believe if you put your head between your legs, you know, you're going to somehow survive. But with an air, with with, an, with a vehicle, you know, you yeah. can actually you might actually pull it off. It takes thousands of bolts to assemble a vehicle and one bad guy to scatter them all over the road, right? So it's kind of like the uh, point of that piece. Uh, by bracing yourself, you're in a better sh- you're in better shape and less disoriented. Than the bad guys, right? So now you're putting yourself in a position of uh, actually an advantage because the, the odds are they're not going to come out of it okay. The two in the front seats are still in their front seats, but the third guy with the gun is missing when everyone comes to. Next, do you, A, hop out of the back of the van, look for a discreet place to hide and assess the situation, or B, get up to the front of the van and try to commandeer the vehicle? Go back to the beginning of that. <laughs> All right. So guy's missing. So you realize the driver is swerving. He's not paying attention. The vehicle rounds a corner. You're uh-huh. going to crash. Yes. So are you going to, A, hop out of the van, look for a discreet place to hide and assess the situation, or are you going to get up to the front of the van and try and commandeer the vehicle? Yeah. It's a high center of gravity vehicle. There's a turn ahead. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. You only I'm going to bail. Right. Yeah, I'm going to bail. Okay. Yeah, you're going to hop out of the back of the van and look for a discreet place to hide and assess the situation, right? 
Yeah. Is it final? Final. Okay. Yes. It's not likely that the van will function after this trick crash. It'll probably be laying on its side. So there's really nothing to drive, right? Well, it threw me off because I thought maybe we did crash. The guy's <laughs> gun's missing. I'm like, well, it's okay. Yeah. The guy with the gun is definitely, when you come to, he's missing, but the other two are still in the front and you're probably, yeah. the vehicle's probably on its side. Right. That's my, that was my, like, is yeah. the vehicle disabled? You know? Yeah. There you go. So you, you exit through the back and you look for an escape route, right? Right. The driver gets out, disoriented, and approaches you. Mm -hmm. Do you, A, run toward an escape route, B, let him approach with your hands up in a nonviolent posture as he closes the gap, steps in to a hard elbow or punch straight to his noggin. Run or knock him out. That's really the choices. Because I don't know the terrain, I don't know where I'm, where I'm going from, I'm not turning my back, so I'm non-violent posture, he's catching an elbow. There you go. I like it. By stepping into the hit and placing the elbow correctly, you're bouncing his brain off of his skull, which will knock him out. This is known as a coup-counter-coup -coup reaction. If you can get the brain to bounce against the skull a couple of times in one hit, that's called a knockout. So you drop him right where he's standing with one hit. Good job, Nick. All right. And you're right, you know, to elaborate, running really does you no good if you've got potentially a guy out there somewhere with a gun and right. you're going to have some other guys now chasing you down. So, you know, you're going to have to face the music and it's better to face it while he's disoriented. Exactly. And kind of help him, you know, with the knockout he should have received from the crash. You're just going to help him out a little, right? That leads me back to that. I don't know if it's your saying, but there's a... There's a three, I don't want to give anything away, but there's a three word thing here that everyone, if you're not trained, should always entertain. Maybe mm. you'll get to it at the end, but. Okay, we'll see. So now he's knocked out. Do you A, take off running, or B, pull the second guy out of the shotgun seat and knock him out too? Is the second guy awake? No, he's probably groggy. He's groggy, I'm out. I bail. All right. Well, you know, once again, it, it, it's tough, right? So ideally, you inca incapacitate two of the three of your captors so that, w that way you've narrowed it down that you're only worried about the guy that you okay. don't know where he's at, all right? All right. So as long as you're going to knock out one, might as well knock out two. Running, you might run into the other guy, and now the other one who's coming to might be right behind you. Now you're dealing with two problems at the same time. I think what they were generally speaking, of course, if you can rack and stack all of your bad guys that you yeah. know towards one-on-one one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one, and now do it again one-on-one -on -one, then you're gonna have a better chance so all right so now you've knocked out two do you get in the van and try to drive it away or b quickly find an escape route and flee before the guy with the gun shows up the van's in is, is toast <laughs> so, so i'm out yeah yeah the van um yeah can't magically fix itself so this one, you know, it, it, yeah, the, the van's probably not going to work. But suddenly, the third guy shows up anyway, right? Okay. Okay. Here we so go. Back to back. even if you were thinking about taking the van and it was functioning, you're back to now dealing with number three, whether you like it or not. So one of the two you knocked out comes to try and duct tape you while you're at gunpoint. Okay. So okay. you got zombies. They've, they've popped back up. This, right? is, this is escalated. Got it. <laughs> yeah. They get you back in the van, right? And somehow it's running. 
I mean, I, oh, man. You know, I know, I know. It's, it's like a uh, Michael Bay movie. <laughs> yeah. The, the bullets never end. They question you about the pop star. Their plan was to kin- kidnap her, kidnap her bodyguard, and have you deliver the pop star to them for the ransom, right? So their, their goal was to, hey, the vulnerable piece might be the bodyguard. We're going to grab him, and then he'll grab her, and then we got, you know, the whole enchilada, right? They have no use for you now because you don't know anything. They decide, you know, hey, we got to get rid of this guy. Okay, he right. knows too much. So now you're still duct taped, and now, now you find yourself waking up out on a boat to uh, disappear you, right? To uh, Hillary Clinton you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you're bad scene at Dexter. You get <laughs> yeah, there you up. go. Yeah. yeah. So you wake up and. It's rough waters. You're on a boat. You're duct tape. And you're like, what the hell just happened? How did I end up here? So do you, A, get up and shoulder check these guys off the boat, or B, attempt to defeat the duct tape restraints before defeating your captors? I'm going to get out of duct tape first, Clint. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, defeating the restraints before engaging the enemy will give you a better chance of survival. <laughs> Unless you're just into drown proofing, right? You can just just go jump off the boat and uh, do old drown drown proofing techniques from uh, buds, you know. Right. Or uh, I'm sure you guys did that too. Yeah. Old yeah, time being, school stuff. Yeah. Yeah, being tied up and thrown in the ocean is nothing new for us, right? Assuming a standing position, turning feet towards. So basically. For those that don't know, getting out of duct tape isn't all that difficult. Number one, you can use friction. You can use your body as a wedge. You can try and find something pointy. You can even find a tool that might be laying around. Either way, you want to perforate it so that you can rip it the rest of the way. Or you can use your body as a wedge. If your hands are taped in front of you, you you basically put your hands out in front of your face at eye level, and then you're going to basically launch your elbows past your rib cage. Your body becomes a wedge and it will cut, it'll shear the tape around your wrists as if they were cut with scissors. Now, if your feet are bound, this is kind of a cool trick. You stand up, you put your feet at a 45-degree angle, almost like you're standing at attention, and then you just squat violently as fast as you can, and it will shear the tape around your ankles. So those are the two. There's a lot of ways of getting out of duct tape. It's good to know. You can practice it with your family, friends on a Friday night. Why not? Now, defeating the restraints... You know, before engaging the enemy, we know is probably a good idea. And somehow, in the midst of all of this, you're knocked off into the rough waters, right? Okay. This is before you could totally destroy all of your restraints, okay? So do you, A, thrash around the water until the duct tape breaks, or B, control your breathing by taking deep breaths with quick exhales, I'm going to just calm way the hell down right? and just assess the situation and get out of my restraints. Yes, I think you're right on. So B, when it comes to self-preservation in the water, obviously being calm, not thrashing around is the goal to survivability. And We've all seen that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We've yeah. seen that when you start thrashing around in the water, what happens yeah. to you? In Bud's, one of the most memorable things that I, I remember that made a lot of people quit was the beehive. They put all, yep. the, you know, you're talking 100 plus dudes into the combat training tank and then the, the instructors would surround you and force you all together where there was no room yep. to tread water. Yep. I was one of the smart guys. You always guys. see I, the guy start panicking. You're like, well, he's oh, going yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> well, people start just pushing each other under too. It's, yeah. it's crazy. 
And the trick around that, people, if you find yourself in a beehive, just take a deep breath and go yep. down to the bottom and look up and watch the watch the show. And then pick your points to go up and take another breath, come back down, and just hang out underneath the mess. There's no sense in getting in the middle of it. It's kind of how you treat social unrest as well. Okay, so, you know, while using your breathing control, people forget mm-hmm. you have two lungs that you fill with air, which will make you very buoyant. You just have yep. to... Keep the air in there longer than you're letting it out. That's the key. All right. So while you're using your breath to control and stay calm and buoyant, the next step is getting to dry land. Do you, A, use the back legs and feet to power kick swim to land, right? So do you lay over on your back and start turtle backing? Or B, while using back kicking swim motion, rotate onto your back to get your head above water to take a deep breath and continue swimming forward. So are you going to basically swim, try to swim normal, or are you going to still leverage your lungs, those two big bags of air, to keep you up and mobile? No, I'm going to do like a, it's like a, the, the survival yeah, safety swim, because you like depends on currents and what the wave, like you're going to get really exhausted, so you need to be able to push motion, maintain buoyancy and maintaining your energy expenditure too right so a was basically standard kind of try and swim it using your legs you know b is yeah get on your back fill up your lungs and then if your legs were still taped together you could dolphin kind of kick your way you know towards the lights and choppy waters full body rotation to help give your head clearance above water to take a breath is ideal Okay, so now you reach land. Mm. Last question. Do you A, rest for a moment on shore, compose yourself after a difficult swim, or B, go ahead and destroy the duct tape restraints and find those motherfuckers? (laughs) (laughs) What's the right answer? I guess I'm going to go with B. (laughs) Yeah. I would too. So, you know, taking a moment to think, look, listen, smell. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the A is correct. B is also correct. So (laughs) we'll give it to you. Good job. You got, I think, a 90 out of 100. Good job, buddy. You know, for somebody that's, you would never end up on that boat. And and one of the things that I love about Clint and his books and everything is we did a great promo for a show that never aired. And I feel like it would have people's lives oh, but yeah. it was the run hide fight you know and if, if oh, you yeah. have the ability to run run because yeah. you might you would never you never would have ended up on the boat and then if you know then hide and then when it comes down to going fisticuffs then you have to do that right but give yourself that space if you can do that right i mean you're the professional yeah yeah without a doubt i think you know i say it all the time increasing distance increases survivability regardless of what the crisis is in front of you, right? I mean, it's just get as far away from whatever it is, especially active shooters. But if it's a fire, if it's a natural disaster, the goal is a increased distances. Should be all, yeah, yeah, riot, social unrest, yeah. any of this stuff going on that we've all been dealing with for the past year, year and a half. And once again, it's all great skills you hope no one ever has to use. Right. All right, Nick. So how can people find you? I kind of helped by just spelling out Nick and then the first part of your last name and you'll pop up in search engines. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I think if you type in Nick Marine Raider at this point, I'm like <laughs> <laughs> the number one, the number one hit yeah, on, on yeah. Google. 
but yeah, at this point, it's pretty easy to find me. And what's your main social platforms that you kind of... Never all eggs in one basket, but Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube yeah. are probably the biggest three. Yeah. Right. Okay. I like, I like to talk shit on Twitter. But it's not very big. That's that's why I talk shit there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's everybody's little mask, right? Get yeah. on there and vent. Yeah. Well, I want to say thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for Absolutely. everything that you do, especially with the Agogi app. That's awesome. I've seen the transformations people have made by using it. So I, I recommend everybody go sign up for that thing. And then, of course, I'm a big fan of Johnny Slicks. It's in my hair right now. I use the body wash every morning. Yeah, and the and the women in your life will love you for it. So they'll appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. And remember out there, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. All right. That's it for now. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson.